and I went to go see a movie with some friends of mine, and I really enjoyed that movie. I thought it was really well done. I came home, and I was talking about it to my mom, and, and because the, the film kind of centered on some key moments in American history, I thought my mom would enjoy that movie too. She was an educator. It just sort of seemed natural. So, so after talking it up for a couple of days, I, uh, the next week or so, I, I took my mom on a date, and uh, we went to go see this, this movie. And so we're sitting there, and we're, we're watching this film, and that's when I heard, for the first time, really, all the language. And I, just like all the foul, coarse language, all the cursing and all the profanities. You know, I saw that film before, but I didn't notice. But with mom seated right beside me, yeah, I, I really noticed the language. I consulted one of these uh, movie review websites this week and looked that film up. And they said that one particular curse word was used 56 different times in this film. And of course, the total number of profanities was in the hundreds. So again, I'm sitting there with my mom in this movie that I've hyped up, and I've said, boy, this movie is great. We're going to have a great time, Mom. And every time one of those, one of those words was uttered, my mom would kind of cut her eyes and glance over at me and back at the screen. You know, So that happened four or five times. And then, then my mom had this way of like showing her disapproval. It was far worse than any sort of like explosion of anger. Instead, she had, maybe your mom had one of these too, she had this way of like sighing. So, you know, my mom would cut over her eyes, and then she, wouldn't, she stopped even looking at me. Then it was just, you know, like the, the release valve of mom's anger. She was just, so, just seething. So every time one of those words was said, I would just sink down further in my chair. And so the movie is over, and we're walking out in the parking lot. I decide to try and be proactive, and I said, Mom, you know, I'm, I'm really sorry. I, you know, I, I didn't really notice all that language the first time. I know that stuff really bothered you. And she kind of cut me off and she said, I'm not bothered, Jason. I'm just disappointed. I was like, that was the worst, you know. I'd rather you be mad at me than disappointed. And, and uh, clearly she didn't share my opinion of this movie being a, a great, great film. Maybe something like that has happened to you. What happened there? You know, I, I saw this movie twice. But it was only in the second viewing that I had the ears to hear, right? It was only with my mother seated right beside me. That's when I noticed the language. Now, the movie didn't change. Of course not. It was the same film both times. But it was in that second viewing that I, I heard. And here's the sad part. I, I had grown so acclimated to that kind of worldly language. I'd, I'd become so desensitized to that manner of speech that the first time it didn't really register. It didn't really bother me. It was only when I was seated next to my mom and she made clear, right, that her values and the values that were being portrayed on the screen, that there was a disconnect. It was only then, it was only then that I really had the ears to hear that coarse language. Well, that sets us up here today, as, as you've seen here behind me, as Joe's, or as, as has already been, been mentioned here, you know, today we, we start this new series entitled Clean Living, and the tagline here is really important. We're talking about trusting Jesus in a toxic world. The idea for this series comes from a book that I read recently called Soul Detox it's by the author Craig Groeschel, and the premise of that book is really simple. The author says, you know, we live in a world of spiritual corruption. 
We live in a world that is polluted with toxic influences, toxic behaviors, toxic emotions, toxic uh, perspectives that really run contrary to the perspective and the worldview that we find in the pages of Scripture. And so we, we understand that, that our world is filled with these kind of toxic influences, but more than that, more than just contaminating the world, we also can understand how those influences, those behaviors, all of that, how it can conspire to really pollute and poison our hearts and our minds and even our souls. And so as we find ourselves living in a world filled with these sort of toxic influences we understand how easy it is for us to become desensitized that's going to be a a key word for us as we reflect over these next few weeks we understand how easy it is for us to be desensitized to those toxic influences so just like i i sat through that film the first time and was sort of desensitized to the to the toxic nature of that language so too are there so many other areas in our lives where if we're not careful if we're not on guard we will find ourselves becoming similar desensitized to these toxic influences but over the course of the next several weeks my prayer what I'm hoping more than anything is that that we can have together as a church family that we can have and experience something of a, a soul detox together this summer okay as we reflect on these these toxic influences but more than that to reflect on who God calls us to be To be called out of those toxic influences and instead to embrace, as Gabe has already reminded us and as we've already sung and as the words are here on the wall, you know, in in huge font, that the cry here is for us to say to God, would you create in me a clean heart, oh God? So that's where we'll be over the the course of the next several weeks together. Some of you are probably familiar with this. You've heard of this boiling frog metaphor probably heard this in one context or another it's it's based on some research that was done many years ago in fact it was done in the the 19th century is when this research was conducted but the research indicates that if you take a frog and I don't know why you'd want to do this okay but if you take a frog and you put that frog in a pot of boiling water okay again I don't know why you do that but if you put the frog in the pot of boiling water according to the research according to kind of the the story as it's popularly uh, remembered and told here if you put that frog in the pot of boiling water he jumps out immediately okay the frog understands hey there's something about this environment that's not good if I stick around here very long I'm going to get cooked so the frog jumps out of the pot of boiling water as soon as you put him in there but if you take the same frog and you put him not in a pot of boiling water but you put that frog in a pot of room temperature water and you slowly begin to increase the temperature, slowly, you know, a degree every second or two. You slowly increase that temperature. Over time, what happens is the frog becomes, again, according to the research, the frog becomes so acclimated to his surroundings, he, he grows so comfortable in that environment that he fails to realize the steadily, steadily increasing temperature. And so, again, according to this research, You know, a couple hundred years ago, the frog stays there. He grows so acclimated and so comfortable in his environment that he doesn't realize that he is slowly being cooked to death. All right? 
So that story, that metaphor is used in a variety of disciplines. You have corporate consultants come and they, they talk about that boiling frog metaphor as a, as a way of cautioning against the, the gradual organizational drift that happens in companies sometimes. Preachers use it to talk about this kind of thing, you know, that we got to be on guard against the, the, the surroundings of our environment. Hey, for all I know, my mother may have, when we got in the car and rode home, she might have referred to the boiling frog metaphor in the sermon that I got in the car ride home after our movie together, okay? There's just one little problem with the boiling frog metaphor, and that's this. Modern science has disproved it. Uh, Modern science has has taken this metaphor and kind of turned it on its head. So there are all kinds of of these contemporary biologists who have done all of these these studies and these research, you know, experiments where they've done this. They've actually taken the frog and put him in the boiling pot. And yes, he jumps out. But here's the thing. He also, the frog also has the mechanisms and the wherewithal to understand that the the temperature is, is increasing gradually. And so he jumps out there too. And so it kind of takes this really well-worn metaphor and this story, and modern science says, well, not exactly the way it works. So we have a little bit of a problem, right? Why are we talking about it here in this setting? Well, I don't think all is lost here. Even if modern science kind of proves that this story maybe preaches better than it is lived out in actual practice, there's still a point. There's still, in fact, a really good point for us as we reflect on where we are as we kick off this series. And that point is this, if even a frog can discern the changes in his environment and act accordingly, how much more so should we be able to do that, right? If a frog is able to discern the the subtle changes in his environment and, and act accordingly, hey, I need to get out of here. This is not what I signed up for. This is not what I thought. If even a frog can do that, how much more so should we? How how much more so do we have a capacity as rational beings, as as men and women created in the very image and likeness of God, how much more capable are we of discerning the subtle shifts in our culture and our environment and responding accordingly? See, it's my belief that we are are finding ourselves, that we live amid a fairly significant temperature change in our culture. And unlike our, our metaphorical frog here, the temperature around us, again, this is my opinion, the temperature around us isn't changing gradually. I think it's changing quite rapidly. And again, like our little amphibian friend here, the question, the question for us is this, will we have the capacity to discern the culture that we find ourselves in And not just discern that, but also to act accordingly. So as we kick this series off and we think about where we'll spend the summer together in our time on Sunday mornings, one of the controlling questions will be this, okay? Where is the line of right and wrong? We'll spend all summer basically kind of camped out here and trying to reflect on and discern the difference between right and wrong. And that's a good kind of thing for us to do in church, don't you think? So we'll spend some time kind of asking ourselves some questions, and one way we could pose the question would be this, where do you draw the line? When it comes to behaviors that, are just, that are, we determine to be right and we determine to be wrong, okay, so where do we draw the line on that? That's a really good question. That's an important question for us to be reflecting on. So, so as, as J.D. has already prayed for us, let's reflect a little bit. Think about, take your entertainment practices. We live in a culture where we 
We have so many forms of entertainment available to us. So this is one of those areas where it's important for us to ask the question. So where do you draw the line on what you will watch and what you won't watch? Where do you draw the line? Have you asked yourself that question in a while? So what will I watch? What sort of things will I view? And then, and just as importantly, what, what will I not watch? What, where will I draw the line and say, you know what? That kind of entertainment viewing, that kind of stuff is just not good for me. It's not good for my soul. It's not good for my mind. It's not good for my heart. So, so where will you draw the line? Or, or take the music that you listen to. You know, where, where do you draw the line there? Okay. And I'm not saying you have to be like a teetotaler and like, you know, only listen to this certain type of music, guys. But, but again, the question is a good one. It's a question where I say, okay, I'm going to exercise some spiritual discernment and know, okay, this, this kind of stuff, this kind of stuff that I'm listening to, it's just not good for me because of the message that's being communicated, because of the, the corrosive effects that that music is having on my, my heart and on my soul and on my mind. So what will I listen to? What will I, what will I watch? Where will you draw the line on your thought life? This is going to get really uncomfortable over the course of the summer probably, but, but that's just a really important question that Christians should be asking ourselves because what I watch and what I listen to really, that digs deep into my personal thought life. So where do I draw the line? Where do I guard my mind? Where do I draw that line and say, okay, if I participate in this, if I do this, then I'm filling my mind with a message that really runs contrary to the message of the good news of Jesus. So where is that line drawn? How do you guard your mind? Where do you draw the line if you really want to get meddlesome? Where do you draw the line when it comes to your eating habits? Is there a spiritual connection between what we consume physically and how the impact that has on us spiritually? Absolutely, it does. there's a connection there. Or else the Bible wouldn't talk about fasting as much as it does. So where do you draw the line on that kind of stuff? Where do you draw the line on, we're just going to continue to kind of ask these kinds of questions. When it comes to all of these habits and all these practices, our language, all of it, where do you draw the line? Those are important questions. And so what I hope to do is prompt us to ask those sorts of questions over the course of this summer. Because again, those are spiritually formative questions. Someone who is growing in her relationship with Christ, I think will be asking those kinds of questions all the time. Where do I draw the line? But we need to say right up front that this is not the most important question. Where do you draw the line? That is, a, that is a good question, and it is a question that I hope that we can continue to come back to, but the a priori question, the question that's even, be, you know, before we get to that one is not where do you draw the line, but the question is where does God draw the line? So my promise to you in all of this, okay, because I know some of this gets really preachy and, you know, some of us we may not really like where we're going with some of this kind of stuff, but I can promise you this, I, I will do my best, I promise you, I will commit to you, I will do my best to keep my opinions out of the way in all this, because, because I have opinions on what I think we ought to be watching, what we ought to be listening to, what we ought to be eating, you know, I have, I have opinions on all that kind of stuff, but I can promise you this, I will do my best to keep that out of the way, all right, because where I draw the line on that and where you draw the line on that, that may not, we may not like see eye to eye on all that, and that's okay, but what I want you to do is to answer the first question in light of this. So I, all, all I want to do is, is get us to think about where does God draw the line? Where does God draw the line on some of these kinds of things? Where, what does he say when it comes to right and wrong? And we'll just take it from there, okay? So we'll reflect on that over the course of this summer. And the reason that we do this, the reason that it's important for us to begin here and talk about where does God draw the line, the reason that that's important is because we cannot always trust our judgment. 
when it comes to creating proper boundaries. We can't. And you may think that you have really good judgment, and you probably do. But you're human. And as humans, the Bible says that we cannot trust our judgment to always know where the line ought to be. Otherwise, God wouldn't communicate and teach so much. God wouldn't share so much eternal truth with us, right? Otherwise, the Bible would be like three pages long. But it's not, because we don't know where to draw the line. The Bible itself says in Jeremiah 17 that the human heart is deceptive beyond measure, that we are the kings of self-deception. We can fool ourselves better than any creature God has created. And next week, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about self-deception and how toxic it is when we fool ourselves enough to start believing our own lies, right? But in our culture, our culture says, look, all you need to do is follow your heart, right? You carve out the boundaries, follow your heart, and you'll end up in a land of fairy tale bliss and unicorns, right? But that is not what God's word has to say. Because God's word says you can't trust your heart to always know and to always lead you into the place where you need to go. So instead, what you need is you need God. You need someone from the outside. You need an eternally objective perspective to be able to give you the proper boundaries that you need around your mind and your heart and your soul. And I'm the same way. The reason I know this to be true is because we make statements all the time to justify the boundaries that we want. We make statements all the time to justify pushing the boundary out here, bending it around the corner to include this little piece of property. You know, we make those kinds of accommodations all the time. Have you ever said something like this? Yeah, I know that film, I know that show, I know like what I'm watching is really, really violent. Like I get it, okay? But all that violence doesn't really do anything to me. It doesn't bother me, right? Have you ever, have you ever, have you ever said that? Have you ever justified something? You know, yeah, I'm watching it, but yeah, it doesn't really bother me. All the carnage and the blood and guts and everything, yeah, it doesn't really, I mean, it doesn't do anything to me, you know? I get up and go eat a pizza afterward. Yeah, it's no big deal. Who cares? Yes, I'm, I'm fine. Yeah, I know this video game, guys, that, I, that I'm playing. I know that it is like so incredibly violent, right? But I can play it all day. I can, I can shoot all these people, these, these you know, digital virtual people. I can blow their brains out, and then I go about my day, and it has absolutely no bearing on me. Really? Like, yeah, I'm not the one telling you that you absolutely can never do it, but a little bit of violence doesn't bother me. You see how that can become blanket justification. Or, or, or this, I guess this is kind of my argumentation with my mom. You know, yeah, that language is bad, and I kind of wish that they would clean it up, and it does bother me when they say that, but at the end of the day, I can handle it. You know, just because I hear all that stuff doesn't mean that I say it, right? Have you ever justified what you want to view, what you want to listen to with that kind of argumentation, that kind of justification? I don't know anyone I don't know anyone who can consume something toxic on a regular basis without it impacting their life in a very significant way. We're just not wired that way. Inputs lead to outputs. It's just simple. That's the way it works. What about this one? A sex scene in a movie every now and then. I mean, yeah, it's, it's probably gratuitous and it doesn't do anything to advance the plot. But, you know, I can watch that and it doesn't bother me. You know, I can just kind of look away, or I can kind of think about something else. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's there, sure, but that doesn't really bother me. Really. <laughs> really. Or, you know, listening to a little bit of gossip. Yeah, it's, it's maybe not ideal, but at least I'm not repeating it. 
I mean, it's not as bad as saying it, right? I'm just listening. So, I, you know, I can, I can justify listening. It'd be rude if I, saw, if I told them, hey, I'm not going to listen to this, and just turned and walked away. What would they think of me? I can't do that. Again, the point here, the point, is that we are not as good at drawing lines and boundaries around our hearts and our souls and our minds as we probably think that we are. And you know that to be true if you've ever used any of these justifications, if you've ever repeated any of these kinds of things. Sadly, most of the New Testament, much of the New Testament, was written in response to this kind of line of thinking. It's called Gnosticism, and it was a major threat to the early church. And many of our scriptures are written in direct response to oppose that kind of teaching, that what I do with my body, what I do out here in kind of the physical world, eh, it is what it is, as long as it doesn't touch the inner me, the soul, the heart. And what I'm telling you, and what I think God's word is telling us, is that it's not that simple. That inputs always lead to outputs. That what we consume always has some sort of effect on our souls. So a few observations here today as we, as we kind of carve out the landscape. A few observations on the whole, the whole idea of, of it doesn't bother me or, or, or I can handle it. Okay, a couple of observations. The first is this. Uh, we just need to say up front, it's not about whether something bothers us or not. It's not about whether we can handle something or not. That, that's really not the benchmark what we're interested in here today and what we'll be interested in over the course of the next several weeks is not, is not our standards, but we're interested in the standards that God has. Again, so the question is not where do you draw the line, where do I draw the line, but the question is where does God draw the line? So if we're talking about God and we're talking about God's standards, all right, here's one that, that it, you know, kind of lays out pretty clearly God's standards and God's expectations here in Ephesians 5 verse 3. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper read these are wrong for God's people for God's holy people so nowhere in this teaching does God say anything about whether you or I can handle it nowhere in here does he say anything about whether you or you and I are, are, are okay with something whether it bothers us or not. You know, he doesn't say, but among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality. That is, unless you can handle it. And if you can handle it, then by all means, enjoy yourself. Right? God doesn't say that. He doesn't say that here. He doesn't say that anywhere. Because, because, you see, we may think that we can handle it. We may think that something doesn't bother us. But God does not share our optimism on that. God does not share our optimistic view of whether or not we're able to handle it. He is way less confident in our ability to handle it. So that's why we're more interested in his standards and not our own. Uh, secondly, the, the, this kind of goes without saying probably. It's a, a fairly obvious point to make, but, but I'm going to make it. Uh, the more acclimated that we become to toxic influences and behaviors, and attitudes, and all of that stuff. So the, the more acclimated we become to all of that, all right, naturally, the less bothered we're going to be by those toxic behaviors, 
those toxic attitudes, those toxic worldviews. It just stands to reason. The more we're exposed to that, the more we consume that, the less it's going to bother us. So again, if we're going to use the, the whole like litmus test of it, it doesn't bother me, if that's going to be kind of our barometer here, it's flawed because the more we consume of that, the less bothered we're going to be. There's a tremendous desensitization that occurs when we consume that which is toxic for us. It's the desensitization that's spoken of in Hebrews chapter 3. Here God says, see to it, brothers and sisters, that no one among you, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Instead, encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that, listen to this, none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. There is a hardening that happens when we participate in sin. There is a hardening of mind, there is a hardening of, of heart and soul, and that happens whenever, whenever we continue to consume that which is toxic for us. So this is, for some of you, this will like really get in your kitchen, and I'm not trying to just be ugly to you, but I, it's my job to tell you the truth, okay? So just hear me on this, you need to hear this. The fact that something doesn't bother you, that may not be the badge of spirituality that you think it is. In fact, more likely, instead of you know, that being some sort of badge of spirituality, that something doesn't bother me, I can handle it, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't prove spiritual maturity. It may prove that your heart has been hardened by sin. That's all that that might prove. Or that your mind has become so corroded by the toxic influence of our culture. That doesn't bother you anymore. That's all that that might prove. Finally, uh, the toxic influences in our culture, they're more harmful to us than we realize. And, and if we don't guard against them, we'll find ourselves just inhaling we'll find ourselves breathing deeply from these toxic influences we'll find ourselves consuming those toxic influences to the point that they consume us this on the screen is uh, la chureca it is the largest garbage dump in central america approximately 16 tons of trash are dropped at la chureca every day the dump is located on the outskirts of managua the capital city of nicaragua and it covers over four square miles an estimated 1,000 people live and work here, and approximately 50% of them are under the age of 18, as you'll see on the screen. La Chureca is slang for dump, and her residents are derisively called churiqueros, or people of trash. Their homes are made, as you'll see, from items that they scavenge from the dump, so sheets of plastic and old banners and scrap metal held together by chicken wire. Every day they search for cans and glass to sell for recycling. There was an earthquake that took place there in Managua back in 1972. It destroyed approximately 80% of the city, and La Chureca became a dumping ground for the city's rubble in the wake of that disaster. Many of the city's newly uh, homeless began scavenging the dump, as you see these individuals doing, searching for metals and building materials, and they eventually just settled there where they've remained now for decades. La Chureca has been listed as one of the ten horrors of the modern world. Here you'll find vultures and cows and other wild animals picking through garbage side by side with the Chiriqueros. And there's no separation of material prior to the trash drops. So absolutely everything goes to La Chureca. 
This includes inorganic waste, again, like cans, glass, metal, demolition debris, but also organic waste, like food and dead animals and infectious bio-waste. Solid waste from hospitals is also brought in, including human remains from surgery and even blood. So the families here, they scavenge for food among the waste because they have little money with which to purchase food. On a good day, a scavenger will find a bit of meat or some fruits and vegetables in the trash from local restaurants. You'll see these young men here, they're picking through, they're eating chicken bones that they find and throwing them down. Otherwise, that's a good day. Otherwise, the Chiriqueros are often left to pick through the remains of farm animals from the slaughterhouse across the lagoon. And trash continues to seep into the lake there as well, which affects the fish population as well as their water source. At La Chereca, garbage is burned all day long. And it fills the air with these toxic fumes that you can see just hanging over the dump. In fact, there's this, this thick cloud of smoke that perpetually hangs over, and, and it's been said that at La Chereca, there's the constant stench of shoe glue and lead and even excrement that fills the air. So here's the point. With every cultural accommodation, with every white lie, with every stolen glance, with every impure thought, with every hate-filled and and mean-spirited bit of invective that we spew, with every violent image we consume, all of that, every time that happens, we are deeply inhaling the toxic fumes of our culture. And just as the, the, the jar, we feel that jarring feeling as we see the Chiriqueros digging through the trash and eating chicken bones, and you know, just, just as jarring as that might be for us, I wonder, is it as jarring when we begin to reflect on the toxic consumption that plagues us individually, that plagues us collectively? I suppose that for many of the Chiriqueros, they don't even realize the, the toxic nature of those fumes that they're breathing in. It's simply all that they've ever known. The question for us is, is our experience really that dissimilar? Are we aware of the toxicity that we continue to consume? Well, as we, as we wrap up here this morning, I want to give you just, giving you a lot to think about a lot to consider, a lot of questions that we've asked. So let's close by looking at two passages of Scripture just to kind of help center us as we, as we think about where we go from here. One is this, Proverbs 25, verse 26. It says, like a muddied spring or a polluted well is a righteous man who gives way to the wicked. So the question that I'd like for you to think about as you walk away from today is this, what is polluting your well? We'll spend the next several weeks talking about some of the things that pollute our well. We'll talk about some of the things that, that, that Satan has at his disposal that, that tend to be the, the most common pollutants. We'll jump in next week, like I told you, and talk about self-deception and those toxic little lies that we tell ourselves. We'll follow that up by talking about false beliefs and how we, we live in a world of, of competing narratives. We live in a world of, uh, that's filled with, with false beliefs. But but that the scripture of God says that the human mind is a battlefield, that we are told that we can take captive every thought to make it obedient to Jesus Christ. So that means our mind is a battlefield, and we'll kind of talk about that. And then, then we'll get into some of those toxic emotions. We'll talk about things like anger, the righteous kind and the unrighteous kind. We'll talk about fear and, and two of the most spiritually corrosive questions that Satan has at his disposal. 
what if? Satan uses those words to prompt more fear in us than, than anything. And we'll, and we'll spend just the whole summer talking about the toxic nature of some of these influences around us. But as we do, I want you to keep coming back to Proverbs 25 and think about, okay, what is, what is polluting my well? And then we'll close here with the passage that's been on the screen that we, we've already sung, that Gabe already read for us again. But it's, it's Psalm 5110, create in me a clean heart, O God. Would you make that your prayer this summer? Would you make that your prayer in your own devotional life? I know you're spending time in prayer, and I know you're spending time in God's Word, and, and, and probably in a lot of different contexts you're talking to people about your spiritual life, but would you just add this one piece? Would you be praying that God would create in you a clean heart? Because I imagine that over the course of this series, maybe even today, we've touched on, on a toxic influence or two that has been creeping into, into your life and into your heart. And if so, just know this, that these words were written at a place of, of deep hurt and regret and shame in the, in the life of David. That he is so broken by the, the toxic nature of sin that he cries out to God. And he says, would you please, Father, create in me a clean heart. And God responds to him in the same way that he would respond to you if you find yourself in that spot today. Where you think, okay, I've given in to those toxic influences. You don't have to do a whole lot to guilt me, man, because when I hear you talk about all of that, I just think how far I have fallen and how many times I have fallen short of what God wants. But if that's you, then I would say welcome to the club because every one of us here could say that and should be saying that. But just like David, can we make that turn where we say, okay, Lord, I get it. It's time for me to come clean. Would you create in me a clean heart, oh God? When we respond like that, I can promise you, God promises that he will respond accordingly, that he receives us with exceeding love and grace. He doesn't always take away the consequences of that toxic behavior. He doesn't take away the consequences of what David has done, but forgiveness is there. Grace and mercy are there. And the cry of clean living is this, would you create in me a clean heart, O God? So as we stand and sing in just a moment, just know that if there is any way that we as your church family can encourage, to help, to pray, to be a shoulder to cry on as we share our own stories and you share yours, you can respond. I want this to be a safe place where we can cry out, God, would you create in me a clean heart? So you'll see your shepherds up front and in the back. If you need to seek one of them out to talk or pray privately or even publicly, we can do that. Today, certainly, if you need to respond from where you sit and just make some things right with, with God from right from where you sit, I hope that you'll do that. But also today, if this, is, if this is the day, if this is the day of salvation, if this is the moment you need to respond and receive the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus for the first time, then I hope that you'll do that as well. Let's stand and sing our song of invitation together.